Writing Matters with Dr. Troy Hicks is a writable podcast. Find more episodes and subscribe on your favorite platforms. And if you want to learn how to grow great writers, check out writable.com. In this episode, Troy speaks with Brian Stabnick, an ELA teacher of 11 years, host of the popular podcast Talks with Teachers, author, blogger, and college board advisor. Brian shares with Troy his successful conference revise and resubmit strategy that he uses with students to successfully engage them in feedback and to create a cycle of revision and writing growth. Welcome to our next episode of the podcast. And today we're talking with Brian Stabnick, who I originally met through um, his work on the Talks with Teachers blog and podcast, and then also through the National Council of Teachers of English, and most recently, uh, having been invited to write an essay for one of his uh, collections that he put out here just about a year ago. How are you doing today, Brian? I'm doing real well. Just got out of the classroom, so it's a pleasure to talk to you, Troy. Fantastic. Thanks for being here today. And if you could just kind of give us a bit of an update, tell us a little bit about where you're at in your career as an educator. What does day-to-day life look for you, right? Look like for you right now? So I'm a lifelong New Yorker. I teach currently at Miller Place High School, which is in Miller Place, New York. It's on Long Island. It's about an hour and 15 minutes outside of New York City. I've been there for over a decade. Um, and the beginning part of my career, I taught in New York City. I taught a year in a Catholic school, a year in a public school, and then landed at Miller Place where I've been happy ever since. That's fantastic. And you're recently back to coaching basketball, you were saying too. Yeah, I think the thing about coaching that has parallels is you're always teaching. So every day I'm coming up with a practice plan where I'm thinking about my objectives and how I can help my students or my players, I said students, how I can help my players acquire skills. So a lot of it is very much like teaching where it's backwards designed. If this is the goal in mind, how do I get to my players to be able to achieve that goal? And you have to plan backwards. And the great thing about it is uh, with my team, I have 12 players on the roster. I get two hours in practice every day with them. Whereas my students, I only see them for 42 minutes a day. So in terms of impact, you really feel like those two hours, you really have to build relationships get to build skill and there's this collective element to it where you're trying to build something together as a team which is very much like the classroom you know you work together with students individually with conferencing but also at the same time you're trying to get everyone to this better place absolutely and that ties so well to our first question because as you know we we could sit here and talk uh philosophically for quite some time but getting into the the nitty-gritty this coaching analogy might might fit very well and i'm Really curious to hear um, from all the teachers we've been interviewing in this series, uh, what's your current go-to strategy? I know you've got dozens um, that you could pull from, but if you had to narrow it down to one to say, this is what I do and it really works well, what's that strategy that's uh, working for you and your students? Your timing question or timing for this question, Troy, is just perfect because last week was the end of the second quarter. So we're right at midterms. And in my AP literature and composition class, my students have produced a number of essays, but I kept on seeing the same shortcomings over and over again. So for example, in their introductions, some students really wouldn't nail down a thesis statement or their body paragraphs may have made a point that was original, but they lacked the evidence to back it up. So this is by far my most consistent, most tried and true strategy with students is to take models and it's samples coming right from the classroom, put them up on the smart board, 
and just critique them. So looking at a range of examples where we can identify sentences or paragraphs that are missing the mark. So we can point to it and say, well, what is this missing that could make it stronger? What are the elements of the rubric that we're looking for with strong writing that this fails to achieve and how can we achieve that? And then of course we'll work our way up the scale and look at strong examples. And for those students that are looking for those models about how do I improve my score from a 90 to a hundred? Well, we can say, what is this doing that's getting this a hundred? And not only is the modeling important, it's then going back and asking students to practice that. So this is where I incorporate technology. I'm a huge fan of using Socrative where I can see their writing in real time. So as I post a question for them to respond to, their paragraphs, their sentences are coming up right there on my computer screen. I can remember early in my career, I would have students at the whiteboard or even the chalkboard, and maybe you could get five or 10 kids to the board at a time, and they're writing it with their bad handwriting. The great thing about this use of technology is it allows students to type their answers and they can go back and edit them. It allows me to see it in real time. It allows me then to pull numerous samples and use it in the following day so that they can become the models. So I love that process of talking about what our expectations are looking at samples, asking students to practice it, and then pull from their own examples as models for the next day to reinforce. So by far, that's my best writing practice. That's pretty interesting. So that raises two kind of follow-up questions for me. One is to hear a little bit more about how you've used Socrative. And then number two, it sounds to me like you're really focusing on the student's own writing as the mentor text. And um, it sounds like that's very successful. I guess I'm curious, do you use other mentor texts as well? Or, or do you really keep it focused on what the students are doing and sharing amongst themselves? So a little bit of both. So I'll start with Socrative. The thing that I love about it is it allows for a variety of inputs. So you can do multiple choice questions on Socrative and you can see stats in real time. So in my classroom now, we do multiple choice Monday where we practice some multiple choice questions about 10 to 12 at a time. And this happened today in my classroom. We did a 2015 passage from the AP exam and I could see clearly which questions gave students the most problems. From there, I can identify the skill of that question and that can really reinforce my teaching going forward. So I love that element that it allows me to plan effectively. With Socrative, you can also do short answer responses and this is where I do use student writing. And just as I mentioned, pulling student samples, I think is so important because as much as a model from outside, so the College Board does release sample essays, and I've certainly pulled from those, but when it's an actual student in your class that wrote it in the time constraints, I think they need that immediate feedback. And of course, one of the greatest difficulties of teaching writing is giving every student the feedback they need. But... I think that's also the beauty of Socratic. You can see the most prominent weaknesses or the most prominent shortcomings and focus on those. And this way you're going to reach the broadest possible audience. That's great. And that leads so well into our next question, thinking about feedback and maybe it is Socrative, maybe it's another technology, maybe it's uh, the one-to-one -one conference or a small group conference. Uh, how are you most often and effectively providing feedback to students? We know that it's a time-intensive process, uh, no matter how you do it, but what seems to be working well for you right now? I think for many years, that's where I felt the most guilt because I can remember I would spend my Sunday nights at Starbucks and just marking through papers 
And of course, then you hand it back that following Monday. And sometimes you would see it just stuffed in a folder or even worse, just put in the wastebasket. And there was this one moment of realization where I said to myself, I'm working so hard. And the only thing they see is the grade at the top. So that prompted me to just grade holistically. So often I have a rubric attached. I put a score at the top of the paper, but I have an open rewrite policy. So I really encourage my students to conference with me one-on-one during my prep periods, before school, after school. I make myself available whenever possible. And what they can do is sit down with me. And here's where I think this is so much more effective than writing comments. With a one-to-one conference, it becomes a conversation. Whereas writing comments in the margin, not only do you not not have a lot of room, it's a one-way conversation. Mm-hmm. With conferencing, it's a back and forth where I can ask questions such as, I see you have a really good topic sentence here, but I don't know if you follow it up with evidence from the text. Can you show me where that evidence is? And this is where they can walk me through their thinking process because so often I found in doing these conferences is that what students believe they're writing in the moment, especially under the pressure of an essay or an exam, isn't always what translates onto the page. So this is the chance for us to have that conversation about what they were intending, what they were thinking. And through this process, it allows me to give a very specific feedback, but also targeted feedback. So I'm working with the writers that really want to improve. Now, the great benefit of that, and this is part of the sales pitch that I give, if they rewrite, they can certainly get a better grade. So students are motivated by better grades, and this is their chance to understand. I think this is the key thing here they could get a paper back and they see they got a 75 on it. They're going to want to know why they got that 75. And that's where I offer it. Well, if you want to know why, come and see me and we can have a conversation about it. And I can point out what I was seeing. Maybe you could talk to me about what you were intending and we can meet somewhere in the middle. And then through that rewrite process, it allows them to focus on those things that we've identified as areas of improvement. That's pretty amazing. So I know it's probably hard to pinpoint an exact number, but if you were to think, and it would probably depend on the time of year and the particular assignment as well, but if you were to try to pinpoint how many students take you up on that uh, revise and resubmit uh, offer, how many would you say do that? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head there. It's often the time of the year. So I think early in the year, especially teaching seniors, they're very encouraged to come after school or during a free period. And many of our seniors get early release, so they see me toward the end of the day. And I'll hit 60, sometimes 70% of students. And it's interesting because it often comes right after open house night where I mentioned this to all the parents. So of course the parents are then encouraging them. Um, And with college essay season, I think the number is even higher. So I would say 80 to 90% come to see me about their college essays because that's the thing they really want to get right. But with seniors, as the year progresses, and certainly as more college um, acceptance letters come back in the mail, I do see a little bit of a decline. Um, But I think, and this is the point that is making it so valuable, is the amount of time that it takes. So in the grand scheme of things, I may be spending more time giving feedback than I was when I was writing comments. Mm -hmm. So I was sitting at Starbucks for a few hours on a Sunday night, going through papers, writing comments. Here, I'm giving up a lot of my free periods, so that does uh, press into my planning time, but it feels so valuable to do that because instead of writing two to three comments on a paper, here's where I can have maybe a five, 10, 15 minute conversation. And I think in terms of the bang for the buck, it is so worth it. So it may 
cost more time in the long run, but I think the result is so much more beneficial. Well, that's really incredible. And your perspective and approach here uh, echoes a conversation I was fortunate enough to have with Carol Jago. And uh, she talked about that fact that I have to spend the time face to face and it has so much more impact than anything I would ever write on the paper. And maybe, just maybe, you've got a little bit of time back on Sundays for your family. and. So, so with that in mind, then, how do you help students provide feedback to one another? Um, what are the things that you do to kind of lay a foundation, building the classroom community, and then also helping students just be really purposeful in the ways that they provide feedback to one another? I think this is something I've struggled with. And I think as a teacher, this is something that I've been trained for years to do. And it hasn't come easy. So I think to be able to give valuable feedback is a learned skill. But I think one of the things that happens in my classroom, and I think this is where Socrative and modeling is important, is we can put a student sample up on the board. We can look at our rubric and say, these are the goals for this specific skill that we're looking for. Is this achieving that? And here's where we can have a constructive conversation about what the writing is doing. So in a way, they are giving feedback on each other's writing. It's just completely anonymous. And I think that's the most beneficial way to do it is that you're not passing judgment on someone's name or their writing. You're giving them helpful pointers to help them move to a better spot as a writer. Yeah, and I have to imagine that kind of going through that process together, you know, help, helps ease the tension in the room. Like, hey, we're all doing this, we're doing this together, we're hoping to help this writer, but also hoping to help you as well, so. And I think that's my role as the orchestrators, to set that tone that we are doing this to improve people, that this isn't, if your writing is up there on the board, this is a chance for you to get specific feedback. And in a way, that's an opportunity that other people in the room don't have. So where someone might be embarrassed or self-conscious, I really try to sell it as an opportunity that they have that few people get. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm definitely hearing some echoes of coaching coming through in your classroom practice too. That's pretty incredible. So as, as you're making your way through this uh, wintertime season uh, and thinking about uh, what fuels you for both coaching on the court as well as in the classroom, um, is there a particular word or phrase that uh, helps guide you, maybe provides kind of a mantra for you as a writer or as a teacher of writing as well? Is there something that kind of helps center you and keep you focused? I think it's probably two words and that's opportunity and diversity. So in my class, we finished just before the Christmas break, Catcher in the Rye, this was my English 12 students. And this is by far my favorite assignment with Catcher in the Rye is at the end, students write an obituary for J.D. Salinger in the voice of Holden Caulfield. So this gives me an opportunity to teach them about diction and looking at Holden's word choice throughout the book, to look at his syntax. And we kind of break down his sentences and notice the repetitive structure that he uses a lot. And also punctuation, how short and terse some of his sentences are. But then when he really wants to ramble, he can go on and carry on about certain ideas. And then when the students write this, it's probably the most fun they have with writing because it's not the traditional five to seven paragraph essay. It's not the research paper about J.D. Salinger's life. They get to inhabit the mind of a character and really take on a persona. And it's unlike most writing that they do in high school. So I think that opportunity to have a diversity of choices in how you write and not just be 
a traditional essay writer or a research paper, I think that really goes a long way with students. That's fantastic. Opportunity and diversity. And so as you are looking at new opportunities and thinking about all the different types of work that you might be able to do, uh, we know, as I mentioned at the top, uh, you're the host and uh, blogger for Talks with Teachers. Um, you've also been featured on a number of other educational sites. Uh, you're the editor and author of the Best Lessons series. What else is on your radar? You are obviously very busy with basketball right now, but what might be coming up for us here in the near future? Um, I don't know. I think one of the things that guides me is serving the people that are right in front of you. So with my basketball team, it's coaching these players that I have that are giving two hours out of their day, six days a week, traveling to games in the season, in the off season. How can I be a model for them about not only how to compete, but also to use sports to find out something about yourself and to build character in young men that are going for that important transition from being a young man to someone that's going to go off to college and have to be responsible and have to work hard and raise themselves up to the level of competition because when they get there, everyone's just like them. Everyone has the same grades that they have. Everyone has the same background that they have. In terms of you know SAT scores or GPA, it gets a lot harder. And so to build that stamina to endure competition, I think is important. In the classroom, it's always the same guiding principle. It's how can I find interesting and innovative ways to build skills within my students, whether it's through the reading of the literature that we're doing or the expression through writing. And then certainly at the end of the year, we culminate with TED Talks where kids get to go up there and speak on behalf of themselves about an idea that they believe is worth sharing. So it's always finding the things that, as you mentioned, with blogging, with podcasting that I do, those are my passion projects. And how can I bring out the individual passions of a student in the classroom and allow them to use language to express that. Is there anything else that you'd like to say? I think one thing I'd love to talk about, and this probably would go back to the opportunity of diversity, is okay. just to talk about how I have my students blog. And oh, one of the yeah, things that yeah, yeah. I found as a blogger is, if I was teaching my students about writing, it was something that I should practice and put it out there for the public to see. And part of that is, realizing that there's an audience beyond yourself. So when you hit publish on a blog, anyone from your immediate family might see it to anyone in the world. So in having my students blog in class, I think it goes a long way for them to develop an authentic voice because as part of that unit, they read the book independently and they have to blog about their reading experience. This is their chance, as I said before, to break from that traditional paragraph format and write something authentic to themselves. And in doing that, I'm trying to empower them to believe that their thoughts matter, that they can develop a style all their own. And that's when they put it out there to an audience larger than just their teacher, one in which their peers may look at, they take a little bit more pride in that and ownership of their writing. So that's something with diversity and opportunity that gives students a vehicle to see that writing does matter in the real world, that you can express things beyond just the classroom and have an audience for it. That's fantastic. And so just a quick technical question on that. Um, what platform do you use um, and how do you have students go about setting up their blogs? Is it something that you build internally and then open up to the public or do you kind of default to public and then they can choose to make it more private? Could you tell us just a little more about that? So a little background on it. There was probably about six or seven years ago, I saw a segment on 60 Minutes about the flipped classroom and how students in science classrooms and math classrooms 
were watching lectures at home and then coming in and basically doing the homework in school. And it made me think about how would that translate into an English classroom? And I thought that most students read at home and come back the next day and write a do not response about it or a paragraph about it. So I thought about how could I flip that? So with my independent reading unit, students reading class for the full 42 minutes, three, sometimes four days a week. Then when they get home, they have to blog about it. So when I first had this idea, typed in student blogs, the first thing that came up was edge of blogs. I've used it ever since and haven't had a reason to change from it. It's run on the same platform as WordPress, so WordPress is something that I know and I can offer them technical support, but each student creates their own blog. So this goes to that authenticity that I talked about. This is their space. They get to design it however they want. And with edge of blogs, there's so many templates they can use, colors, backgrounds, format design. I mean, it's, you can almost drive yourself nuts sitting there clicking through all the different options on it. But that's part of the sales pitch that I give them, that this is their space to have a real conversation about the book that they're reading in an authentic voice. So they should design it as a true reflection of themselves. That's fantastic. And that connects back to uh, another guest that I've had, a colleague of mine, uh, Andy Shinborn, uh, who teaches at Mount Pleasant High School in Michigan. And he, he kind of balances the blog where at some times it's a response to one of the books that they're all reading together, but at other times it is about the student's choice uh, and giving them opportunity to share. He also invites them to look at, um, although not requires them, but invites them to look at the um, opportunity to publish with the Nerdy Book Club uh -huh. and create a book review uh, in the style of a Nerdy Book Club uh, entry. And uh, yeah, I think he's had one or two students at least that have uh, had that uh, published on Nerdy Book Club. So that's kind of fun. That's cool. Yeah. Well, fantastic. I really appreciate your time. And as I said earlier, I appreciate all that you do in your classroom for your students on the court, off the court, and for our profession at large. Your, your podcast and blog are invaluable, and I'm glad you're part of NCTE and our other professional network. So thank you so much, Brian. Troy, this was a pleasure, man. And the feeling is absolutely mutual. So Writing Matters with Dr. Troy Hicks is a writable podcast. Discover more episodes and subscribe on your favorite streaming platforms. Or check out filmed episodes on YouTube. Writable offers more than 600 writing prompts and assignments with a range of feedback and assessment tools to help you build more purposeful, proficient writers. Learn more at writable.com.